I'm Hemant Mehta. And I'm Jessica Blimke. And you're listening to the podcast for FriendlyAtheist.com. You can now listen to these podcasts and all of our old ones and see show notes at the newly designed FriendlyAtheistPodcast.com. Max Temkin is one of the creators of Cards Against Humanity, the party game for horrible people. What began as a game Max played with his friends soon became a successful Kickstarter campaign in 2011, and has turned into one of the most popular and entertaining card games today. It seems like somebody breaks it out at every gathering I'm at. Max, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. So... How are you guys, I mean, right now, you're in the middle of this 10 days or something of Kwanzaa. I keep getting stuff in my mail that cracks me up, and I can't share with anybody because my my family doesn't have a sense of humor. So, uh, where did those ideas like that come from, where you're like, hey, just give us some money and we'll send you something. We're not going to tell you what it is, because you did it last year, too, and it was great. Yeah, I mean, um, these things are, are gradual evolutions. Like it never, it never just like appears fully formed as this, as this really complicated idea. So, um, it started a few years ago where we, we, we wanted to do like a special pack for the holidays. And we thought it would be fun instead of just selling it to do a pay what you want model. So people could pay anything for this pack, including nothing. Um, and he would send it to them in the mail. Um, and it did pretty well. We, we raised, uh, I think it made like a $70,000 in profit and we gave that all to Wikipedia and that was like a big, and then that also surprised us because it became like a big kind of media sensation and there was all this press and conversation around it. So from there, we, we just started thinking, uh, you know, what, how do we, how do we do this bigger and better? Um, and the sort of obvious solution was instead of sending uh, one thing in the mail for the holidays to send a bunch of stuff in the mail for the holidays. So that's how the, uh, the holiday bullshit was born. <laughs> how, how long does it take to coordinate all of the things you're going to send? How much advanced planning goes into that? And how many people are involved in this whole process? Um, well, I, I'll, start, I'll start with the last one. Um, so CART is, is uh, it, I mean, it was started by eight people, or really the game was made by eight people. Um, and we all grew up together uh, in the suburbs of Chicago, and we've been friends ever since we were very, very young. We most of us met like on the playground in first grade. Um, so now uh, we made we the game in 2011, I believe, uh, was when the Kickstarter uh, got funded mm-hmm. uh, for the game for the first, and that sort of paid for our first printing. And now it's a couple years later, and we have uh, about eight employees uh, here in Chicago, and we have a small office. Uh, in Logan Square, and soon be moving to a uh, much bigger office slash co-working space. So that's uh, kind of the team that executes, uh, you know, all of these crazy pranks and jokes <laughs> and does the customer service and uh, designs all the materials and everything. So I'd love to hear about the genesis of this game, because in my head, it's like the eight sure. of you sitting around a table, like saying all the worst things you can think of. Or was it was it that planned out or was it more natural than that? Um, well, there's, there's sort of the... the um, uh, there's sort of the short version of the story that we tell everyone, and then there's like the more complicated version of it. So the short version is that this was just a thing that we made for ourselves for a New Year's party, and it was never designed with the idea that anyone else would play it. Um, but then we all brought it back to our different colleges, and people played it there, and it was sort of surprised us that people thought it was really funny, and then we put it online, and then it just sort of um, it took on sort of a life of its own from there. 
Um, but the more complicated version of the story is that uh, this is, you know, we all grew up, love, we all love games, we love board games, we love comedy. And this is just sort of the, you know, we had we have a long tradition of like making silly games to uh, play just with ourselves. And cards was sort of the the last in the line of uh, what were pretty pretty terrible games, <laughs> and it just sort of evolved. It just sort of like evolved organically from experimenting with different wordplay games, you know, games like Mad Libs and Apple Apples mm-hmm. and things like that. I would so you have like a customer service line because I would love to be <laughs> yeah. a fly on the wall. That has to be an interesting customer service department. I have worked in customer <laughs> well, service and I'm people complain about the weirdest it. things. I'm not going to spoil it, but. Uh, it is a 24-hour customer service line, and I highly encourage you to call it. Um, <laughs> I think you'll find it. I think you'll find that you'll be very, you'll get very satisfactory customer service. What's the Tom. What's the number? Dare I ask? Yeah, uh, I don't know. It's on our website. All right. Uh, we'll, we'll post it. We'll post I'll, it I'll on the notes for the show. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so the eight of you who created the game are all eight of you still involved in the creation of new packs of cards? Do you guys still? Uh, talk about what's going to be happening with cards in the future? Yeah, absolutely. So they, um, all, you know, and that's probably the best part about the game, um, for me at least, is it, it becomes this great reason and uh, also money uh, for <laughs> us to get to see each other a few times a year, um, which is which is really great because uh, the guys now, you know, we all live all over the country. Um, so we get together uh, maybe four times a year uh, and we do uh, sort of writer's retreats. So we sort of sequester ourselves away Somewhere, um, you know, far from uh, far from civilization, uh, we, we like going to like lake houses or you know rental places or things like that, and we just sit and write funny ideas and come up with weird things and try and make each other laugh, and um, somehow the the game comes out of that. And then in terms of our actually running the business, we do every Monday night we do just a video call, and that's actually our only meeting of. Getting- to just to deal with the administrative stuff or to deal with like yeah, I guess try, all the customer service complaints. Some, yeah, we we try and do some um uh creative work on on the meetings. Usually we do we'll do like two hours of business and one hour of creative work. Mm-hmm. Um and that's that's usually how it breaks up. But we always save the creative work for last because it's it's obviously like the most fun, but then by the time we get to it we're all like cranky from talking about, you know, money and I don't know, business things. So what do you think it is that makes people pay extra for Cards Against Humanity packs on Black Friday or actual buying literal boxes of bullshit? Like, what's drawing people? Why are people, people doing that? What's drawing people to it? <laughs> yeah. Or, um, or do you know? Well, <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, I don't think there's a, um, I don't think there's like a one simple answer to that. Um, I think part of it is we, like, this really gets to my my roots of what I think is funny, which is like, I love pranks and I love spectacles and I love practical jokes. And I think people like being on the inside of that. People like helping to make a prank and helping to make a practical joke. Like, you know, it's, you're part of something that's really silly and the bigger the scale, the more outrageous it is to sort of be part of it. So when we do something where the joke is that people buy something, like the joke is that people buy poop, the people are, you know, they're buying the poop. They're also sort of, they're sort of doing this improvisational prank with us where we do, we, you know, we're sort of in this improv scene with them, but we do our part and they do their part. And the result is this crazy media spectacle and this really silly, absurd thing that happens. Which is so, so funny because you know, on, on your... Hand, on your website, you were very clear, like, this is actual, literal bullshit. You are buying bullshit, oh, very, just so you know. 
I don't know what people yeah, were expecting. People, very few people were surprised that they got poop. I mean, there were maybe. I mean, we sold thirty thousand of them, and <laughs> maybe a dozen, maybe a dozen people sent us, you know, angry emails. We just, we just gave them the money back. Who do you uh, go to? All, who do you go to to buy thirty thousand boxes of bullshit? I know like, a guy what vendor? <laughs> you I know, know a guy. guy. Uh, we, we just, we started like anyone else. So we just went on Google and we were like, How, can you, can you buy bullshit? Can you sell it? Can you, uh, can you put it in the mail? Now, important and, question. Uh, actually, uh... Go ahead. Finish your thought. Oh, okay. <laughs> now, what do we know it was bullshit? Might it have been cow shit? Because I feel like if I got cow shit and I paid for bullshit, I would be mad. I'm pretty sure that it's actual bullshit. We, mm-hmm. we, talk, we, had, we found this, uh, the researcher we worked with was this really nice lady in Texas <laughs> named Amy. And she was, she was pretty, Hi, pretty clear that she got the joke and, and wanted to make it happen for us. That's awesome. I mean, it beats the owl pellets I dissected it in, like, fifth grade. Oh, that was awesome. <laughs> no, man, I remember that. I found a vole. What did you find? Yeah, I, I found, found I found the whole skeleton, well, I, I think. think. Yep. Hemant and I both grew up in yeah. the suburbs, too. Yeah. So I grew up in the South suburbs. You were from, I think, Highland Park, correct? Yeah, exactly. Where'd you grow up? Uh, Orland Park, so I'm, I'm from Burridge, Ridge, oh, sure, so right. it was the same fucking vole we all found. <laughs> <laughs> they just repackaged it. <laughs> I heard you got involved in uh, high school with Barack Obama's uh, campaign for Senate when he was running in Illinois. Uh, so you knew Obama in a sense because be- before anyone else really knew who this guy was, before he was getting all this national media attention. So uh, not to change the subject, but uh, what drew you to that guy? Yeah, you know, I, um, um, so I'm, I'm 27. So when I was in, um, so my freshman year of high school was, was 9-11. And then the, all, you know, the years after that in high school were, you know, the, all the craziness after 9-11, war in Iraq, the Patriot Act, like mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. And that was all kind of happening really rapidly as like, you know, you get to that age for, for, for me, I got to that age where like I started reading the news and I kind of figured out how to use the internet to read the news. And it just was like, I, I, and I, it, was, it was so crazy. It was like the whole world, it was like a Twilight Zone thing. It was like yeah. everyone went insane. And it just, it like didn't make sense to me because on the one hand, I'd be in, you know, history class or whatever, learning about how the way the country is supposed to work. You know, just really basic stuff. Like people are supposed to read bills before they sign them. And they're supposed to have a declaration of war. Well, now, come these, on. They don't have you know, that kind like, of time to read. Come on, Max. Well, right, but it's like, <laughs> it's like very fundamental things that you're told. It's like, you know, and when you're in high school, someone's like, here's the way the country works, and then you go on the internet, and it's like, ah, not, we're not going to do those things. <laughs> uh, it's just crazy. So I found, I got really, um, you know, it was, a, it was a time in my life uh, where I was really angry about politics, and, uh, you know, I was like an angry angry internet commenter. <laughs> and I went to a uh, an anti-war, an anti-war, Iraq war rally, um, you know, uh, during like, the lead-up the Iraq War, uh, when it was pretty clear it was going to happen, but it hadn't started yet. It was in Daily Plaza. So it was you know, big, a big protest, and uh, there were a bunch of elected officials and people there. And there was this, uh, you know, state congressman, Barack, or state senator at the time, Barack Obama, and he got up on stage and gave a great talk. And I just remember thinking, like, man, like that guy, he gets it. That guy is no bullshit. Like he is, like it takes, you know, it must be really hard to get up on that stage and have a really unpopular opinion right now. And I was like, if there's ever a time in my life when I can, you know, get involved with that guy or, 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 uh, you know, help, help him, you know, go somewhere bigger, I, I would love to do that. So uh, a couple of years later, he ran for the uh, Senate seat 
uh, in Illinois, and uh, I was just in high school, but I volunteered for the campaign, and I, you know, it was much glamorous. I would go um, before school, I'd like go to the train station, and I and I'd stand in the snow and like hand out Obama flyers to people. Wow. Um, but you know, from that, I, I met people who worked on the campaign, and I got a position working on the presidential campaign in 2008. So it was just sort of a weird. Uh, right place, right time, um, piece of history to be a part of. What did you do for his campaign in 2008? Uh, I started as an intern, and then um, I found myself in all these meetings where people were saying, oh, you know, we, we can't do this because we the website's not ready or we don't have this piece of design. And I was like, I didn't really know, I didn't really exactly know how to do that stuff, but I was like, I could probably figure this out. So I just started saying, oh, yeah, I can make a website. I can, I can do that. <laughs> I'll handle the <laughs> Obama <laughs> campaign. Don't worry about it. I got this. Yeah, well, I mean, there was a team of people who were doing this for the big the big stuff. But this were just little, you know, small meetings that I was in for, for, you know, little projects here or there. And then, But then it was like, once I said I could do it, I sort of had to do it. So then I would just go home and I'd be like, okay, how do you make a website? <laughs> so that was uh, that was a cool time. I learned, uh, you know, taught myself like HTML, and I uh, got good at, at uh, Photoshop and InDesign. And um, I eventually uh, got a staff position on the campaign doing design, and then I did um, uh, GeoTV or Get Out the Vote in uh, uh, Miami Dade County in Florida. Mm-hmm. Uh, so not to switch back and forth on you. Uh, sure. What's the? You told us what the process is. You have these writers' retreats for coming up with new cards with the writers and everything. How many ideas get discarded? How many do you throw mm-hmm. out? And can you release those as so, another expansion yeah. pack? <laughs> so I can I can tell you a little bit about the. Um, it's rarely like a strict like yes or no decision. I'll, I can tell you a little bit about the process. Please, like the yeah. Process for how we write the game. So basically, we have um, we we live in Google spreadsheets. That's kind of our bread and butter for for writing and for organizing the game. Um, and actually, like the canonical. Um, list of cards of like this is the game mm-hmm. uh the, like our stone tablet of the game that's just like a google doc somewhere on google servers um so basically one our, our first doc like the rawest form of of the writing is a document that we call the hopper the hopper is like it's just um it's just a scratch pad and you know throughout your day you, you're in a funny situation, you know, a funny social situation, or you see a funny ad, or just something pops out at you, or, you know, someone says something funny, or you read something funny in a book, and it just goes on the hopper. And the hopper is like a brain job. So we all go through our lives just like pouring stuff onto the hopper. And we can have, at any given point, there could be thousands and thousands of things on the hopper. Um, then we do, on our weekly meetings, where we do, you know, our video chats all together, we appoint someone each week as the, the cards are, like the, the judge, and they take cards off the hopper that they like, and they try and sell them to the group. Um, and it's kind of a cool process because it's all anonymous, so when we submit to the hopper, mm. the, we, there's no, no one gets credit for a joke. So what it does is like, and then you don't pitch your own jokes. You sort of pitch things that you think are funny, and it's great because it kind of ta- it lets us like take our ego out of the writing. Because when you're pitching jokes or talking about jokes, it's not no one's on the line, right? We never know. We don't know who wrote what joke. We just know it's a joke, and then we can all be very candid in our discussion of it because we don't have to worry about hurting anyone's feelings or bruising any egos or anything like that. So usually the judge. We'll pick, you know, 20 cards or something, and they'll try and sell them. So they'll read the card with a couple of black cards to combinations just to prove that it's funny. Mm-hmm. And then maybe they'll make more of, like, an intellectual argument of, like, here's what's funny about the card, or, like, here's why I like this joke. And then sometimes everyone will just 
shit all over it and it'll we'll throw it out <laughs> immediately. Um, or other times um, it'll lead to a discussion or uh, uh, we'll riff on it and we'll come up with an un, you know a new funny idea just from that discussion. That's that's a pretty common occurrence. And then the most rare thing is we all love it and it goes um, it, we we sort of approve it for further consideration. And then once we, so if we either come up with a new idea that we all like, or if we approve the, the hopper card, it then it goes into a second spreadsheet called the shortlist. So the shortlist is cards that we've sort of previously vetted as having some consensus among the groups. So like, okay, there's something interesting here. Um, but we try not to quibble. We try not to get into like, grammatical fights or punctuation fights or something at that point. And then we do our, these retreats a couple times a year. And that's when we get out the short list that we've been building up for the last few months. And we all sit down and just, it's just an absolute brawl of everyone trying to uh, fight for the cards they like. Uh, you know, everyone wants to move a, move a comma, move a period, you know, change a word. Uh, but somehow out of that, we, we get a pretty solid uh, uh, pack of writing if we're lucky. I love that Cards Against Humanity is a giant game of grammar between the creators. <laughs> that that amuses you know, it me. Is, <laughs> it is people. I think people often imagine that we're like I don't know these like drunk bros and we just sit around <laughs> and like you know say hilarious things. But uh, none of us are comedy writers, and we're not very you know I wouldn't say we're like very confident writers. We're we're just very sort of like um, precise, neurotic, self-conscious writers. <laughs> so we no, spend, that's a writer. We, we spend, <laughs> Yeah, maybe. So we spent, we just spent so long on each joke and we agonize, you know, we'll get a thesaurus out or we'll get a usage dictionary out and we just agonize over every word and we'll have arguments about is a joke bullying someone, is it mean to someone, is it, you yeah. know, all that stuff plays into what, what a good card is. And then, of course, the white cards have to work, they have to be really versatile with the black cards, black cards have to bring out some, they have to be new, they have to bring out some new aspect in the white cards. Mm. You know, so we, we try and build, write the cards so there's interesting interactions, and that can be puns and wordplay, um, or just, you know, uh, showing the cards in a new context or bringing out some aspect of the cards. For example, a black card that that has to do with, you know, what's that smell, for example, it mm. brings out a new aspect of the white card that you might not have considered otherwise, because now you're about what they smell like. Right. Because so now I can maybe, play maybe Ebola can... and it's a totally different meaning. <laughs> exactly. Or it brought out a new aspect of it. Um, or let you be clever. You know, it helped you come up with some clever wordplay or clever something unexpected. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's what that's what categorizes a good writing. And then sometimes we just get tired we get punchy and someone goes, you know, someone just makes something up like long sex snakes and it just kills us. And then we're like, I don't know what that is, but it has to go in the game. <laughs> uh, is it harder to come up with black cards or white cards? Uh, um, uh, they have different ups and downs. So the black cards are grueling to write. I mean, it is, and it's even harder. And it's like, there's, it's all the, we picked all the low hanging fruit there. Uh, and it is, it was so hard to write a good black card. It can take us, you know, we can go hours without just trying <laughs> to brainstorm without writing a passable black card. But the nice thing about black cards is they're really fun to test because it basically just becomes playing the game mm. with cards that no one else has ever played before. So it's like when we, that's our favorite thing is because it makes the game fun for us to play again when we write new black cards. Whereas the white cards, they're much easier to come up with because you're just sort of naming funny things in the world, but they're just so boring to test because you're just playing, you know, at this point, we're so sick of the black cards. We've played them a bajillion times. Mm-hmm. 
so there are some cards in the deck uh, that do offend people, which is kind of the idea. Um, but you <laughs> I alluded. I think it's kind of the idea. I think it's <laughs> it the, idea. the idea. I mean, you alluded to this though. There was an uproar, you know, a little while back because it was a card that said, you know, passable transvestite. And you said uh, later on, you know, you regretted writing that card. Maybe it was funny at one point, but you real you matured. You realized, you know, wh- who are we making fun of here? Times it's not progressed. Yeah, yeah, times progressed. How do you guys determine when you've crossed the line and when some card, which might be offensive in in the wrong way to certain people, uh, that one can pass, but these other ones are too much? Like, how do you figure that out? Yeah, I mean, that's that's the question. Um, and you know, we certainly we don't. I don't. Um, I hope we're not the like arbiters of what counts as good taste in society. I don't, I, I, you know, I certainly, I don't want that responsibility. Um, but that being said, like the, the game is, you know, it's hard, we can't, it's hard to pretend that like people aren't playing the game. Like it's part of, it's kind of a part of the popular culture right now. And I think we all feel some responsibility to make sure that we're not being bullies. Like, you know, many of us were bullied growing up and we've been through that. Um, and we certainly don't want to pay that forward to, you know, to write something that's going to make someone else feel bad. So there's a difference between a card that's outrageous because it makes fun of someone who's in a position of power and it takes them down a peg and it's like calling them out for something, you know, mean or bad that they've done and something that's like just picking on someone who already doesn't have a, a lot of cultural power, you know, they're already victimized in some way. So that's, that's the kind of the, the some people might would, would refer to that as like punching up versus punching down. And we always want to make sure that, that when we can, that we're punching up. Um, and of course, like the tricky thing about that is, we're all we're eight white dudes like and uh, <laughs> yeah. that's right. not the that's not the group that we we picked we just that's just you know we that's all pull together and yeah that's how we that's how that, that, that's our childhood friends like our, our people you you grew up next to um but there's no pretend like that does not give us a huge variety of like human experience to bring to the game so you know, we make, we make lots of mistakes and we are privileged. We, we find all the time that we're privileged in ways that we don't expect saying uh, are okay or not okay. And when that happens, we just try and be humble about it and we try and apologize and we fix the game. And, uh, you know, that's all we can do. I feel like that's a really reassuring thing to hear you say that you, like, as a upper-class white guy, understand the difference between punching up and punching down, as you said, because I feel like that's lost a lot in the culture, that people are like, how come it's okay to say, like, guys do this, but if you say, like, gay men do this, it's not okay, whereas, like, it's... It's, it's not an easy thing to recognize for a lot of people. Especially if you're in the position yeah, of, well, like... And, I mean, that's, in, in general, that's an idea that's really... It's, like, not cool right now to talk about the idea of good taste mm-hmm. and it's like people, there's this idea of like you no know, people like don't understand the distinction between that you can do something and that you should do something it, it seems to be like a, 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 a distinction that's like totally lost in public discourse i imagine it's got to be tough when the mistakes if you guys make mistakes in the deck of cards um, it plays out in the public. Mm-hmm. Like if you all eight decide, you know, this card's going in the pack, it's going to look like this. And then, you know, months later, people start complaining about it. I mean, it's a very public sort of spectacle and that, yeah. that can't be easy to deal with. Yeah, although I will say to our credit, um, we haven't had a situation yet where people got mad about something that was currently in the game. We've mm. actually only ever had a situation where people get mad about something that we had already decided to take out of the game, you know. So for the Passable Transvestites card is like the perfect example. 
that all blew up as a result of a Tumblr post. And that Tumblr post was made almost a year and a half after, after you we took had it out. taken that card right. out of the game. So it was an easy, it was an easy apology to make, right? Right. Sure. What, you realized we it before it. Uh, yeah. that we were pressured to realize it. Yeah. That's good. Exactly. You're, you're only 27 years old. And I imagine that when you create this game and it's just a fun game for you guys, uh, it's one thing. You got to be a businessman now. Mm-hmm. I mean, you got to run a company oh, of sorts. Hell, oh, hell no. If I can. <laughs> when, is this, when is this going? I'll, I'll tell you how much that's not the case. When is this going out? Um, You know what? I don't know yet. In a few weeks. Yeah. In the next month oh, or so. Fine. Okay. So on Friday, we're on a, so we're doing our, our 10 days or of, of uh, holiday bullshit yeah. uh, this year. And on uh, we're actually actually on Friday um, for the ninth day that we're giving one dollar from every subscriber from everyone who subscribed. We're giving their dollar for that day to the Sunlight Foundation. Yes, I just got that one in the mail to yeah. the what foundation? Sunlight oh, cool. Foundation, yeah, so where they, are... they say where all the money is going to politicians. Like these oh. these groups are giving money to these exactly. politicians. You should know about that. Interesting. And they made a two hundred fifty thousand so... dollar donation, right? Yeah. Yeah, so Unbelievable. Subscribe. So it's an, it's an awesome day. I'm, I'm couldn't be more excited about the announcement. Like it's running my wheelhouse of like doing a, a pretty political thing. Um, and we've been working. I've been working with the Sunlight Foundation really closely on the announcement, uh, just making sure you know that we're, we're coordinated and everything. And we realized this week we, the, the letters went. Up, you know, they got sent out, and then we're waiting, and we're like, you know, we're going through our checklist, and we're like, okay, they're in the mail. We're going to get them any day now. We've done everything, and we realized like, oh, you know what? We didn't pay the Sunlight Foundation. <laughs> we just sent everyone a letter saying that we gave them two hundred fifty thousand dollars. Right. We didn't actually give them two hundred fifty dollars. Oh no. Two hundred fifty thousand dollars. So we scr- so we scramble and we find the checkbook, which is like <laughs> we've been made fun of because it's a checkbook like you get from your. Ba- it's a, just a checkbook from a bank. So like, like just in your bottom the, drawer. It's the initial business. one with like just the random yeah, like, example you check. Looney Tunes characters. Perforated <laughs> check. You tear it out of a little booklet and you right. write. Yeah. So I wrote, so wrote a check. I had I had someone else do it. I was like, just write this, write this check and like put it on my desk. I need a quarter million dollar check right now. <laughs> Yeah, right. Well, it's like, it's really silly, but that's like, I don't know what else you're going to do. Like, oh, I guess, yeah, anyway, that was what occurred to us. So we, we well, everyone's like scrambling, and you like, get the, you know, someone goes and gets a stamp, stamp, and you send it down. And then I get a letter, and we overnighted it, and then I get a letter back from them yesterday, and they're like, thank you so much for the check. Great to see it. However, you did forget to sign it. So we can't actually deposit it. Oh, no. <laughs> That is uh, a true story. So we, then we like called our bank and we realized that we could. There, you can just wire people money, so that's what we did. But anyway. So wait, let me get this straight. You just wired. I, you still wired a group two hundred fifty thousand dollars, which is kind of a big deal, which is amazing. But let me go. Let me go back to that question, though. You have had to become a businessman, even one who. Well, makes, you should have become a businessman. You should have become a now. businessman. I mean, that's got to be. That's not necessarily a responsibility you asked for when you guys came up with Cards Against Humanity. And I say this for you and your buddies who came up with this have you made that transition okay where you are you guys are running a company and it's a big company yeah i don't know um that's a confidence we like personally i personally i really i honest to god i i don't i really don't know what i'm doing with that stuff and like an example is like when i do interviews or, or sometimes uh People ask me like how many games we sell, and I I literally have no idea. Like I think I could I think I could have that information, but I I don't. Like I just it freaks me out, so I don't look at it. Yeah. Um. 
Fox. So you would I be could, a failure on Shark really... Tank or something, but. <laughs> Oh man, <laughs> I, I, we I, we'd get just ripped to pieces. Although it's pretty, that is hilarious. Every time we go home, like you know, uh, Christmas break, whatever, see our folks, someone is always like, "You should go on Shark Tank." You're like, I uh, think I got it, Grandpa. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, thanks, Grandpa. Um, but uh, we got really lucky that, like, so there's among the eight of us, like everyone it went off and did really, you know, interesting and weird stuff. So there's uh, two of the guys are in grad school for physics and uh, psychology. Um, some of the guys did economics and business stuff, and some of the guys did like art stuff. So we have gets a really good, just by pure luck, we wound up with the eight of us having like a good set of skills to to Round be able group. to do this stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's and I got really lucky that there's other guys, you know, the other guys who who wrote this thing with me know how to like balance a bank account and um, <laughs> you know do file, make a company, and all that kind of stuff. And I really, I really, it's not my thing. I, I don't. Uh, I really don't do any of that stuff. I think it's an interesting uh, choice that you guys made that you only sell the game online, which I know because there's a Target by my house, and every Christmas when I'm walking around, I can see these poor guys in the red shirts who work at the Target, and they keep getting—I've heard three different people be like, do you guys sell Cards Against Humanity here? And every time they're like, no, you can only fucking buy it online. Please (laughs) leave me alone, old person. (laughs) Are you planning on selling them in stores, or is that a, a specific choice you guys made not to do that? Or is is that wrong information? Well, it, so initially, initially it was a couple of things. Uh, it was the first thing is uh, we none of us knew enough about how you know. So what you're supposed to do when you make a game is you're supposed to get a publisher and a distributor and you get into retail and you know get licensed and all this stuff. And we didn't know that. Like we, I don't know how would you know that? How would anyone know that? So we just we just assumed it Google. was like okay, well, yeah, you got to sell it on, you got to sell it on your website now and you got to make it yourself. So we did, because that was what we, that was all we knew. You know, we Googled like how to make a board, how to print a card game. And we found, <laughs> that's how we found our printer. Um, but, uh, you know, the other thing is, at least initially when the game was new and it you know, just coming up with Kickstarter, there wasn't any stores that wanted to sell this thing. Like they took a look at it and they were like, you know, are we get this isn't sell. <laughs> this isn't marketable. Like, it says balls in it. Game. We're not selling it. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So now, I mean, things have changed, and for years, you know, we target, and everyone has called us, and they want to sell it. But I don't know; it just doesn't feel it doesn't feel like who we are. Like part of the fun of the game is that it, you know, um, it, it, well, a it's not for everyone. Like I honestly don't know that it, I don't think it would do well if it was in Target. Um, but you know, part of the fun of it is that it's this thing you discover for yourself online. Yeah, and your you friends order have it. And our, like. I know this is like a dumb thing to say, but like we're our, even if you go to our website and order the game, like our ordering process is really, it's really well designed and it's really funny. Like we did every single, all, that entire process all built from the ground up, like by us to be really quick and, and, uh, and easy to use and funny. Yeah, when I signed up for 10 days of holiday bullshit, they asked me which animal I wanted to have sex with, which I had to think about and for a little while. Answered. I believe I said panda like everyone else. I mean, that's just good sense. Yeah, I mean, panda, obviously. Panda was a big one. <laughs> I think we live in a panda state, actually. I think we live in a panda state. You know what's funny? I literally this week just realized I don't own Cards Against Humanity. What is wrong with you? Because all of my friends own it, and I never realized I didn't have it. Because every like, if I go to a party, we're always playing it. So I just assumed it was in my game closet, and I don't own it. So I have It's like Monopoly. Me. Someone's got to have it. Somebody has it. <laughs> Max, what's the best what's the best pairing 
of cards you have ever seen. Maybe an unintentional one that you guys didn't come across during your, like, I guess you can call it beta testing. Or <laughs> have you ever heard of a pairing that you're just like, didn't see that coming and it's hilarious? Um, I um, I get asked this a lot and I should probably have one and memorize it, but I, I don't. <laughs> I, I, let me go into the chat, into our Slack room, because I, I saw a really funny one today and I posted it. Let me see if I can't find this. I saw one while you're looking for that. I saw, and I don't. I assume it's real because it was on the internet, and of course I think it's real. Then there is testing there. But I saw one that Lance Armstrong was playing, and he found he played a card that was like Lance Armstrong's remaining testicle or something like that. <laughs> you you've got to be kidding me! You didn't know that? Okay, no. I'm gonna find it now. <laughs> All right. All right. To Twitter it's, we go. It's out, I feel like oh, I've fun. seen that too. <laughs> Him and fill in um, while we're Googling. Uh, was, yeah, right. the one I, the, there was a great, I saw, I saw an amazing play today. Here it is. It was, um, that's right, I, I killed blank. That's right, I killed blank. How you ask blank? So that's right, I killed Bosnian chicken farmers. How you ask a murder most foul? And it was, it's a great, <laughs> it's, it's a, a great song on the word foul. Yeah, like we totally did not write that card. <laughs> With that intention. Joke, but there that's it great. is. <laughs> um, what uh, while while Jessica's looking for this Lance Armstrong thing, uh, Max? What offends you? Anything at this point? I mean, I assume you've seen it all, kind of, when it comes to coming up with these cards. Does anything offend you? Yeah, I mean, I think um, I think what offends. Well, I, I you know, I, it's a, there's a great Christopher Hitchens quote, and he where he's asked uh, he's asked a similar question. He's like, "What do you? What do you?" Someone asked in a he's trying to talk. And he gets a question from the audience, and someone says, what do you say when someone says, you know, your beliefs offend me, or what you're saying offends me? And he says, it's a very American thing that, that to say, you know, that offends me, as if it ends the conversation. Like, you being offended by something is your problem. Like, it really has not, it doesn't, it doesn't really uh, um, have anything to do with the merit of my argument. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something that, that's something that takes part. Like, I try, you know, when, when I find myself um, to have a lot of uh, righteous indignation or to be really offended by something, like, it's kind of, it's a pretty unattractive emotion. Um, and I usually try and figure out, like, break it down and, and figure out what um, what's at the root of it. Um but the things that get me, like where I find myself getting getting mad or, or um, uh, getting offended by it, it's like cruelty, uh, people people being mean to each other, people bullying each other, um, uh, selfishness, like consumerism, like that stuff really it really pushes my buttons. Um, but you know what what can you do? Like my I. I there, you know, there's been, there was a time, or, you know, in my life when I was when I was very angry about politics, and now I find that like the the, the best for my own like mental health, the best way to deal with that stuff is just to try and try and find the joke in it, and try and find absurdity in it, and try and find something funny about it. Let me ask you about the 10 days or whatever of Christmas, and you guys did this last year too. When you guys send out these envelopes with whatever's inside. Uh, this mm-hmm. is just as a math nerd sort of thing to ask, but you guys have like a game going with codes and there are, you know, special secrets that you got to find within the packages themselves. And at some point people will figure out what the secret code is or what the puzzle is. And it's a hard game to play. Who comes up with all that? Is that you guys as well? Or is that outsourced to like, I don't know, MIT is running this part of the project somewhere. <laughs> Uh, well, it actually, uh, funny you should mention that, it actually is run by um, some MIT folks. Um, so <laughs> no way! Year, yes! Oh my god! Yeah, so last year the puzzle, what is um, happening? So last year the puzzle was, was uh, written by Josh, who's one of the co-creators of cards, 
and he or he used to organize the Stanford Puzzle Hunt, and now he works in the MIT Puzzle Hunt. So oh yeah, that thing is background. it's a big puzzle, yeah, um, tournament. Yep, yeah, it, it's it's just it's wicked the the puzzle that they put together every year. Um, so Josh did a, a really good job with it. Um, but this year, I wanted to really um, we we wanted to make something really memorable and like extremely challenging. Um, you know, this is the kind of puzzle that it might well take people a year or several years to put all the pieces together and solve. Um, so we actually uh, worked with our friend Mike Selinker from Lone Shark Games, and he's a professional puzzle designer. So he's pretty much any uh, ARG or puzzle that's the, the oven boat to the tap in the last, um, you know, couple decades, Mike's had his hand in, in some way or another. So he's uh, he's also worked on the MIT Puzzle Hunt. He's done puzzles for Wired and uh, all kinds of um, uh, cool clients. And, I mean, he the stuff he put together this year, it just makes my head spin. It's, it's just wow. unbelievable how good it is. I... And there's the, the fun thing about this year is there's clues everywhere. Everything that we put out <laughs> for the holidays here is just full of clues. Wow. I, I glanced at the subreddit that was created for people to discuss this puzzle and the things they were coming up with. I had to go back to, to my envelope and be like, "How? whoa, I didn't catch that. Oh, cool. I didn't know this was a code. This was part of the – maybe it's not part of the mystery. Who knows? <laughs> but it's uh, it's very elaborate what you guys have put together. Yeah. Max. Yeah, there's um, so there's like there's like layers of puzzles. There's like easy puzzles that come every day, and then you need to use those to get into the deeper puzzles. That's awesome. And they're doing a really good job on the easy puzzles, but they haven't even started on the hard stuff yet. <laughs> wow. Max, I found this tweet. I'm going to tweet it at you. What's your? If you don't want to share your Twitter handle on the podcast, we can talk oh, no, no, later. No, no. Okay. It's just at uh, at at Max Tumsden or at Cah. Max. She'll send it to you. I'm yeah, my my Twitter <laughs> handle is blueberry. I'm going to send it to you. Um Max, while she's doing that, you actually have a day job, right? You're like a design consultant, is that right? Uh it's a I wouldn't necessarily describe it as like a like a day job. Tweeted. Um it's a it's a it, and also like the last at least the last few weeks working on holiday stuff, it's not any kind of job. I'm just doing you know, $80 a week of uh, Cards Against Humanity lately. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I try not to, uh, for, for most of the Cards guys, um, and also, honestly, for most of our employees, um, you know, every, everyone's got interesting stuff going on other than Cards. Um, so Cards is, cards is um, you know, well, for me, I'll, I'll try and do about half of my, spend about half of my week on Cards, and half of my week I was doing design uh, for nonprofits and political campaigns, as well as I'm uh, working on other games and side projects and things like that. Very cool. And I, I wonder, you know, because all of these kind of internet phenomenons, including Cards Against Humanity, they do have a shelf life, but it seems like Cards has been going for quite some time now. Yeah. Are you worried that at some point people are going to be like, all right, I've played it. I mean, you can give me new expansion packs, but... I've, I'm done with it. Don't rain on his parade. I don't want to. I hope it keeps going. But, I mean, do you ever think about that? Like, what do you do after cards? Oh, yeah. I, I'm amazed it's lasted this long. Like, I mean, uh, I, 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 well, you know, we'll, we're, we're trying to, the goal right now is we're trying to build uh, an actual stable company um, that's going to outlast, you know, the popularity of this one game. Um, but obviously, you know, the, the, you, you have pressure on both sides because we want to build something sustainable and we want to, um, you know, build a good foundation under this. But also, you know, this is, it, it really is a once in a lifetime opportunity to be a part of something that, that just you get lucky and it, you know, it, it gets kind of momentum. So, 
you know, we also don't want to hasten its demise by, by, you know, moving on too quickly to something else. So we've got a couple of really cool projects in the work, and I think you'll see some new stuff from us in 2015. That's awesome. Um, but the game is is still growing. Like I'm, I'm pretty much the uh, I'm pretty much the biggest pessimist in the group, and I always think that every set we sell is the, the last one. Like anytime we sell something, I'm like, well, that was so well lasted. But uh, it continues to grow. Like um, we actually just posted a bunch of we I did a blog post uh, showing the the bullshit, all the data behind the bullshit sale, and you can see on there like we're we're killing it. Um, you know, as compared to last year, like our our overall our sales are are way higher. So that's fantastic. It, it keeps, uh, it keeps going. So, Max, we're just about to wrap up. Just one last question. Um, do you have any projects you're working on besides cards that you want to... Yeah, what um, is coming out in 2015? Yeah. Uh, let's see. Um, what's, what's, what's exciting? Well, I, uh, I have um, I recently uh, joined the board of advisors of a really cool organization called DonorsChoose.org. I don't oh, know if yeah. you guys have heard yeah. of them. Um, but it's it's kind of a Kickstarter for teachers, so teachers can um, list things like classroom supplies that they need for their classroom, and then just normal people can go and buy those things for their classroom. And donors choose act as kind of the middleman, um, so they procure. They actually go out. The teacher doesn't get the money. Donors choose gets the money, and then they actually go out and procure the stuff, and they're able to get supplies because they're a big purchaser. They can get this stuff for teachers at really cheap prices. Um, so they're an they're an amazing organization. Um, and they do so much good work in Chicago. So um, I've been I've been very involved with them. I've um, uh, and I'm, I'm helping them uh, build out their design resources a little bit, um, and working on some of their their digital stuff with them. So that'll be that's probably the the thing I'm most excited about. That's for, awesome. Um, it's a great organization. As someone who was a teacher, I'm thankfully at an affluent school because that's what happens in the Chicago suburbs. Mm-hmm. But I know a lot of teachers, friends on Facebook and stuff who have used Donors Choose and they, they definitely appreciated the, the help that they got. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a pretty cool it, – it's, it's, it's really cool to me that, that it, it's like simultaneously I find it very helpful because it works. But also, like, if you go on there and you can – one of the op- sort options is you can go to, like, look at all projects in Chicago sorted by which uh, school district has the highest poverty. Oh. And it's it, – so it's, like, that, the hopeful part is that, that this thing works, but the sad part is that it's kind of necessary. And if you go – if you sort by poverty, you'll – I mean, there are some tough ones to look at where it's, like, you know, our kids are sharing one one textbook and we need textbooks for everyone. Like, we ran out of pens. Yeah. We need pens, like really basic stuff. So whenever I'm feeling down, um, I'll just go on donors choose and like if you spend just a couple hundred bucks, like you can buy a like a huge amount of classroom supplies for kids. And then they also write you thank you letters. Like the kids will will oh, nice. send you little notes in the mail. And there is no better pick me up in the world if you're feeling <laughs> bad. Yeah. yeah. Other than bullshit in case <laughs> that gets delivered to you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Well, Max, thank you so much for your time. Keep up the good work you guys are doing with Cards Against Humanity because it brings a smile to so many people's yeah, faces it's a lot of fun. in a very different way than Donors Choose probably <laughs> does. So uh, thank you so uh, much. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for having me. This was great. Thanks for listening to the podcast for FriendlyAtheist.com. This episode was taped at Cinnamon Sound Studios in Aurora, Illinois. The music was composed by Brad Chagdis. If you like what you're hearing, please consider making a contribution at Patreon.com slash Hemant. That's He-Man T. We appreciate your support. And if you have any questions, feel free to email us at FriendlyAtheistPodcast at gmail.com. 
I'm Hemant Mehta. And I'm Jessica Blumke. We hope you'll join us next time. 